on this second episode of Revelations and Deception. It's the metamorphic episode, where we transition from contextual background information to more substance. On this episode, we examine one of the most challenging questions that was asked from one of the most influential figures within all of history. On this episode, we'll examine the question that was asked three times. So join us on the second edition of Revelations in Deception. Ah, yes. It is the second episode of Revelations and Deception. The metamorphic episode. The episode in which we transition from contextual background information to more substance. And on this episode, we're going to examine one of the most challenging questions ever asked by one of the most influential leaders in all of history. So thank you once again for joining me. I'm your host. My name is Brennan Wickerham, and this, of course, is Revelations and Deception, a podcast that hopes to offer insight, inspiration, and truth within a world that is currently deceived. The first episode was the Contextual Background Information Show, and what that offered was a lot of contextual background information that inspired this very podcast. It started one year ago on January 28th of 2020. There was the Israeli peace deal that was being signed between Israel and the United States on January 28th of 2020. Also on that day, there was the first 100 cases of the newly discovered pestilence that was being investigated within the United States. You had a trial that was going on within the United States Senate. You had rumors of war that were being spread. And you had a church that unfortunately spent more time and energy trying to pass laws than enrich relationships with Christ. The church had become very legalistic and unfortunately tied itself to politics and political false idols. It was very difficult for the last few years to separate politics and religion. The church had tied itself pretty closely to um, politics and the president, and it was very hard to separate the two. So I understand that that last episode was very political. Um, it's just the climate that we're in, you know, it's just a reflection of the times that we're in right now. So on this episode of Revelations and Deception, what I'd like to do is step away from all that uh, political turmoil, all the debates, all the arguments. Um, 
what that episode was is it was all just contextual background information that had inspired this show. I, I understand a lot of it was a reflection of the culture of the times for the last three years. It was very hard to separate the church from politics. The church had aligned itself so politically close to um, the political leader that we had that they, in a way, kind of turned him into a, a false idol. And it was very hard to separate faith from politics. And the two were mixed so closely and so tightly together that it was very hard to talk about Christianity without becoming political, or it became very difficult to talk about the president and political issues without involving um, religion and Christianity. So the two had become so entwined that it was very hard to separate the two. But I just want to get away from that all from this episode. I just want to get away from it all. You know, I, I'm just kind of sick of it and just tired of it for the time being. It's not to say that there won't be another episode in the future in which we'll re-examine some of those issues or go back and look at some of the uh, arguments or some of the things that were brought up, but just for the time being, I mean, I just, um, I want to move past it. And, um, so on this second episode of revelations and deception, what I wanted to do was examine one of the most challenging questions that was asked by one of the most influential leaders in history. This question that was asked, I believe that if you really think about it and analyze it, it's almost a reflection of yourself. You know, I really think that perhaps by examining this question and really contemplating it, um, it's almost like a mirror. You know, I think you'll become more in tuned with your own self in ways maybe you'd never thought possible. Um, so what I want to do is examine a question that was asked not just once, but three times. So what we'll do is we'll go back to the book of John, the 21st chapter of John, starting at verse 15. So when they had dined, they being, of course, the disciples, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? That was the first time he asked the question. Lovest thou me more than these? Meaning, do you love me more than these other people, these other disciples with you? Do you love me more than these others? In verse 16, he said, he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And then again in verse 17, he asked him again a third time. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? The question being, do you love me? Um, this was a question that Christ, the Lord, had asked his disciple, Simon Peter. Um, and, you know, I just want to spend some time and really think about that on an individual level. And reflect on our own selves and ask ourselves, do we love Jesus? If Jesus were to ask us right now, do you love me? How would you respond to that? It's probably one of the most awkward, uncomfortable, unsettling, perhaps difficult questions to answer, right? Um, 
especially if you have no knowledge of him, right? If you don't know him, if you have no knowledge of him, it's going to be very hard to love somebody you don't know. In fact, I would say maybe it's unlikely that it's even possible to love somebody you don't know, right? If you don't know them, um, how can you truly love them? So maybe for some, they just don't know them yet. And they just can't answer that question. And if they do, it's unfortunately with a, uh, it's a lack of knowledge. And so maybe for some, you know, they just don't know them. And they, the answer to that is I don't, I don't love you because I just don't know you. Um, you know, it's a question that really strikes the core of who we are, right? It's a question that really strikes and resonates with the connection we have with other people, the motivation we have, the inspiration, uh, the connection we have with the Lord. It's a reflection of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, right? Because we were instructed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. So let's think about this question even further, all right? The question being, do you love me, right? Jesus asking you, do you love me? And the instruction, of course being that we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So do we love him? And do we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What would, what would that look like? Right. Um, so first off the heart, let's break it down, right? The heart is pretty much the core of your identity, right? It's pretty much the essence of who you are, the deepest essence of yourself. Um, it's kind of the center of your existence. It's, 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 it's who you are. So, when Jesus said, do you love me? And we put that into context of loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's first think about that in terms of our heart, our identity, our, our self, right? Our, um, the center of our existence. Do we love Jesus to that extent? Um, you know, for some, you know, there might be those out there who say that, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I do good things. I go to church on Sundays. I read the Bible during the week. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the crucifixion. I believe that Christ forgave me of my sin. And, and, you know, maybe they just never thought of, do they actually love Christ? You know, it's, it's, a question I wonder how many people have ever actually thought, you know, if Christ were to sit down with you and look you in the eye and say, do you love me? Um, you know, how would you respond to that? And the better question is, is if you say yes to that, what would your life look like? Right. First off with the heart, the core of your identity, the center of your existence, the deepest essence of yourself. If that is indeed in line with Christ and his commandments and the love and affection is there to obey him and do his will, then the very essence of your core, your whole identity would reflect that love, right? The, your whole identity, 
your whole self, your whole existence would only reflect the love that you have for Christ. All right, that's in part of what the heart, soul, mind, and strength would look like. Now let's focus on the soul. Um, the soul, you know, it could be argued that that is basically the essence of feelings and desires, emotions, passions. Um, you know, and if you could answer that question, yes, Lord, I do love you. And I do love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The soul would reflect a burning passion to want to do his desire, to, to desire what uh, his will is for you, to obey his commandments and um, you know so for for me, the soul kind of reflects the idea of uh, you know just your desire and what you delight in, right? If you truly love the Lord and you obey his commandments and do his will for you. Um, not only will you have a burning passion to follow him, uh, but you will delight in him. And again, that would radiate through your existence, through the deepest essence of yourself, through the core of your identity. Um, you know, we're also instructed to love Christ, the Lord, with all of our mind as well. And again, you know, what would that look like? Um, you know, the mind is kind of, you know, the intellectual part of our being. It's the part that offers reason, imagination, thoughts, ideas, expressions, uh, meditations, things of that nature. And again, you know, put it into context of the question that was asked, do you love me? Uh, what would your mind look like, right? What would you spend your time meditating on? What would you spend your time imagining or thinking about? You know, how many times throughout a day in this culture do people consume their ideas and their minds with desires or passions or wicked imaginations or fantasies? rather than meditating on God's plan for their life, right? If you truly love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your mind would reflect um, an intellect and ideas, expressions that would express that love and show that love. And, you know, for some people out there, you know, maybe they just have a, a habit of coming home every day from work and turning on the TV and, that's all they do. They just spend their whole time just consuming television and they fill their minds with imaginations, um, sexual desires, violence, whatever. And how many of them actually meditate on the, the God's plan for them, all right? There's people out there who probably go to church every Sunday. Some of them might even be active in the church. They might be up on stage singing on a Sunday morning. Some of them might be leading a Bible study on a Wednesday night. All right. Some of them, you know, some of them, you know, they volunteer for their church. They, they're active in their church. They spend time with their church. They 
are in some capacity involved, whether it be with the worship team or leading a small group ministry, whatever it may be. And yet their lifestyle is one in which outside the church, you would really wonder whether or not they truly love Jesus, right? They fill their minds and their imaginations and their intellect, their ideas and their thoughts with polluted ideas, wicked fantasies, desires, passions. You know, do you love me? It's a very interesting question when you really, really think about it, right? He didn't. I think that there's an assumption out there that if we believe in Christ, you know, we we believe that, you know, he was incarnated, he was crucified, resurrected. We believe in the atonement. Um, you know, there's some out there who, might, you know, he's a good preacher, he was a good teacher, a prophet, did miracles. We believe in all that. But have they ever actually asked themselves, do I love him? And if I do love him, do I love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? So the fourth element, of course, being strength, right? What would that look like? Um, strength is your energy, your efforts, your determination, your wills, your actions, right? It's what you pour your energy into. It's what you actually do. And this idea of strength could be one of the ways in which, um, and I'm not trying to discredit the mind or the soul or the heart, but it's through strength that I think that love is most outwardly expressed and seen from an outwardly perspective, right? If, um, it's what you pour your energy into. It's what you actually do. And if you don't love the Lord, um, you know, for some, it might involve lying, cheating, stealing, whatever. You know, maybe for some, like I said, they just, they go to church every Sunday. They, they're on the worship team. They, they sing on stage. But outside of that one hour service on a Sunday morning and the rest of their daily life during the week, how much energy are they pouring into the love that they have for Christ? Um, what kind of actions are they doing to radiate that love? Um, you know, so on this episode of Revelations and Deception, what I wanted to do was just kind of reflect on this question for a little bit right? Do you love me? It's a question that Jesus asked us personally. It was on a personal level, individually. Do you love me? And, you know, when you think about it and the command that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know, what would that look like for us individually? You know, I don't know what everybody's calling is out there. I don't know where they're at in their walk. I don't know where they're at spiritually. Um, but I just feel like we're at a time in which maybe we just need to sit back and just ask ourselves this question, right? Just get away from all the political debate, get away from all the bickering and just hot temper, right? There's just been this 
spirit of what would you call it? <laughs> I mean, there's just been this aura over the last three, four years of just hot headedness, right? Of just uh, tempers and uh, maybe even so far as anger, but just the temperature in the room has definitely been hot <laughs> over the last few years. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, the temperature has been risen and let's just cool it down for a little bit. All right. Let's just step away from all that and let's just reflect and ask ourselves, do we really love the Lord and do we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And, you know, for some, like I said, maybe the answer is no. Maybe they just don't know the Lord yet. And maybe this is perhaps their opportunity in which they are being tugged and pulled in that direction in which hopefully they will um, seek to learn more and know him. Um, you know, maybe for others, you know, they can definitively answer without a doubt that, yes, I love the Lord. And then I would challenge you, what would that look like? with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? What efforts are you doing in your life that reflect that love? What energy are you putting things, what things are you putting energy into that are reflecting that love that you have, right? What reasons, what imaginations, what thoughts, ideas, what expressions what are you meditating on? What are you spending your time thinking about? Same with, you know, your feelings and emotions and passions and desires. What are you most passionate about right now? What do you most desire right now? You know, is it a reflection of the love that you have for the Lord? You know, is your core identity, the deepest essence of your existence, your inner being, does that radiate the love that you have for the Lord? You know, I don't have a lot of answers. In the last episode, I asked a lot of questions. In this episode, I'm asking a lot of questions. Um, you know, I'm not one to have a lot of answers. I, In the last episode of Revelations and Deception, the contextual background episode, I one of the things that we also talked about was my background and um, the 15 years of experience I had within the media industry. And with that, in that industry, you just naturally ask questions, right? Like that's basically what you do. I mean, you ask questions. Um, and I've always just had a better skill at asking questions than trying to tell somebody what they're doing, right? It's always easier for me to ask them, what are you doing? as opposed to telling them what they're doing. So for me, the question is, do you love me? Right? The, Jesus asked this to us personally. Do you love me? And the command, of course, was to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of our being, all of our desires, all of our intellect, all of our reasoning, all of our efforts, all that we do. And I just think that if we spent more time reflecting on ourselves and our relationship that we had with Christ and really think about this question, 
I think maybe we could uh, develop more of a uh, an intimate relationship with the Lord. I think we would be more obedient and um, follow Him more closely. And I think we could, uh, you know, I'm not saying we're going to get out of these times that we're in. The The Bible says, you know, things will only get worse. Um, so as time goes on, I mean, really, things are really only going to get worse. <laughs> um, but on an individual level, I mean, we can at least improve our lives and the lives of those that God had put in our lives, right? We can at least do something. Um, so that's just a question that I've been contemplating and thinking quite a bit about lately, uh, especially during this last month since the last episode of Revelations and Deception aired. Do you love me? Um, you know, and what would that look like regarding your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You know, what emotions and desires and passions would your soul have? What would you delight in if you truly loved the Lord? You know, what would the essence of your existence look like, the core of your identity, the deepest being of yourself look like if you truly loved the Lord? What would your mind look like, your intellect and your reasoning, your imaginations and your expressions and ideas? What would they be? You know, and... When it comes to strength, I mean, what would you what would you put your energy in? What would you put your efforts and determination in? You know, um, I said in the last episode how the church over the last three years had became very legalistic, and they had spent more time trying to pass laws than enrich relationships that people had with Christ. And, you know, we've become so much of a a nation that is so tied politically and religiously. The two are so hard to separate. The last episode of Revelations and Deception, of course, was a contextual background episode. And I don't want to beat too much of that stuff to death. And I'm kind of past it all and over it all. But there is something that I feel like I, I should give a little bit of up, update on. So I'd like to give an update both personally as well as culturally, politically. Um, so in the last episode of Revelations and Deception, we talked about a hat that I had created a black hat that in red letters said Matthew 24, 24, that was in contrast to the red hat with white letters that says make America great again. You know, my calling a year ago was to sit in every church service there was and not take off my hat in the same way that Christ didn't wash his hands. A defiance against legalism, right? The church had spent more time trying to pass laws than they did trying to enrich the relationships that people had with Christ. Um, they aligned themselves so politically that religion and politics could not be separated. They turned their president into a messiah, into a false idol. And one of the key elements to this whole idea 
my whole motivation, the whole inspiration was this hat that a black hat and red letters that said Matthew 24, 24. And looking back at it, I went back and listened to that podcast again and thought it over, analyzed it, prayed about it. And, you know, one of the things that I was convicted of was that that verse, Matthew 24, 24, in a way is kind of a, it's a verse that kind of creates division within the church. When you study eschatology, and you start studying the different interpretations of the end times. Um, there's a debate that changes your entire world view, essentially, right? Um, you know, if you're a premillennialist, you're going to have a different world view than an amillennialist. Um even if you're a pre-turb premillennialist, you're going to have a different worldview than a post-turb premillennialist. So even premillennialists can have different worldviews depending on if they're pre-turb or post-turb. And if you know what I'm talking about, then hopefully you have the spiritual maturity to handle this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then don't worry about it. Um, my point is this, is that Matthew 24, 24 depending on your worldview, um, can be a conflicting verse. Because, like I said, if you're a pre-turb or a post-turb, your worldview is going to be different. And how you perceive things is going to be different. Um, so in a way, Matthew 24, 24 is kind of... So what I wanted to do in this episode was step back a little bit and go back even further and just go back to the beginnings of Matthew 24. Because like I said, if you're a pre-millennialist or an amillennialist, you're going to have a different worldview and your timeline of eschatology is going to be much different. Um, the way that you interpret the 24th chapter of Matthew and the timeline of which things take place um, is going to be very different depending on even within the premillennialist ideology, if you're a preterb or a posterb. Um, and I'm not trying to create debate within the church or argue what's right or what's wrong. What I want to do is just go back to the very beginning of Matthew chapter 24. But before we do, let's look at the verse that we're talking about, Matthew 24, 24. And it says, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, and so much that if it were possible, that they shall deceive the very elect. Now again, depending on your worldview of eschatology, um, that word elect might not even apply to you, right? Um, if you're a preterb, if you're a uh, preterb premillennialist, <laughs> that word elect would mean Israel. If you're an amillennialist, that word elect might mean the church. Um, so again, you, your worldview of eschatology is going to be much different whether or not you're a premillennialist, an amillennialist, uh, if you're a preterb premillennialist or a posterb premillennialist. So the timeline that you would create in Matthew 24, 24, 
and and the 24th chapter of Matthew would be much different than perhaps what your brother in Christ um, timeline would look like. And I don't want to debate those various viewpoints of interpretation because there's definitely, I think, a lot of strong arguments for all of them. I think there's a lot of strong arguments for amillennialism as much as there is for premillennialism. Um, but so what I want to do is just go back to the very beginning of that chapter rather than the middle of it. <laughs> because as I said, that verse that I had used... Matthew 24, 24, which was one of the inspirations behind this whole ideology, right? When this last year on January 28th of 2020, when the press conference aired at noon that involved the peace treaty between Israel and the United States, the inspiration I had was to create this black hat with the red letters that said Matthew 24, 24. And the 24th, just to give you an idea here, there are total... Of 51 verses within the 24th chapter of Matthew. 51 verses. And I pulled basically one right out of the middle almost. Verse 24. So like I said, depending on your worldview of eschatology, that timeline of where that 24th verse fits in to your worldview is going to be much different to your brother who might have a different interpretation. And it's not to say that you know, I believe that we do look at things through a glass that's unclear, right? We don't have a full definitive definition of <laughs> anything, really. Um, it's all been polluted in a corrupt world that has fallen and sinful and our nature and our very uh, existence has been affected. So we don't see things totally clear. Everything that we see is kind of cloudy and murky. We don't have a full understanding of it all. Nobody does. So you you can't sit there and say that one person's right and another person is wrong. That's unfair. You can't say that one viewpoint of eschatology is right and the other one's wrong. I think they all have their merits, and I think they all have something to add to the whole idea. Um so I'm not going to sit here and say that one viewpoint's right or the other. I'm not going to debate the different viewpoints. I'm not going to cause division. It's not what I'm here for. So let's just go back to the very beginning of Matthew 24. All right, so let's just uh, pick it up here at the beginning of uh, Matthew 24. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. <coughs> and he sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And then it goes on. What I wanted to make highlight of was the very first sign, the very first thing that Christ said. 
right? What was the very first thing that Christ said? What was the very first sign that he gave his disciples when they asked him, what will these signs be? He said, take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name. All right. The very first sign that Christ gave of the end times was deception of deceivers. So rather or not, you're a preterb premillennialist, a posterb postmillennialist, or an amillennialist. Whatever timeline you put Matthew 24, 24 in is kind of irrelevant because the idea is still the same, that there will be deceivers in the world. And that's the very first sign that Christ gave. Take heed that no man deceive you, for there shall come many in my name. And they shall deceive many. And then he goes on after that about the wars and the rumors of wars and the troubles and the pestilence and earthquakes and famines. And it's interesting to me because this totally makes sense to me, right? If the idea is that the world is basically becoming more and more corrupt and getting worse and worse and worse and leading to this end time, this just makes sense to me, right? Imagine if you had, for an example, pestilence first, right? Imagine if Christ said, first there will be pestilence. Think about that. Okay, first there's pestilence, right? We acknowledge it, we accept it, and we say, yes, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is what is. This is a sign. And then the next sign comes along. Wars and rumors of wars. That happens, you know what's happening. But that wasn't the first sign, though. The first sign that Christ gave, the first thing he said was, Take heed that no man deceive you, for there shall come many who will deceive many. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. You know, because you can have a deceiver, because with the first sign being that of deception, and the first warning from Christ being that there will be deceivers. It just makes total sense to me because you could have a deceiver who will deny all the other signs afterwards, right? If the deceiver comes first, it makes sense that that deceiver would kind of almost downplay or not acknowledge all the other signs thereafter, right? If there's to be pestilence on earth, of various kinds, famines, earthquakes. It makes sense that a deceiver would deny that and not acknowledge it. So to me, it just makes total sense that Christ would put this idea that take heed, no man deceive you, come before all the other signs in Matthew 24, 24. Right? Where the placement is, like I said, regarding your timeline of eschatology, it's kind of irrelevant at this point because Christ is saying the very first thing that will come will be deceivers and they will deceive many and take heed that you be not deceived. And it just makes sense to me that a deceiver would deny all the other signs thereafter, right? Oh, there's pestilence on earth. There's a virus. Let's deny it or downplay it. Say it's fake news. It just makes total sense. It's just so logical. It's just, like I said, even de- 
with the various interpretations of eschatology and the various worldviews out there, the different timelines, preterb, posterb, premillennialist, amillennialist, whatever, the first warning <laughs> that Christ gave is still the same. Take heed that no man deceive you. But there's also something else I want to focus on. And that comes in verse 6. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. See that you're not troubled, right? That's the commandment there. Be not troubled. Yes, these things will happen, but don't live in a state of fear. Don't be troubled by them. Don't let them consume you or overpower you. Right? Find your peace with the Lord. Right? If you truly love God, if you can say yes to that question, do you love me? And you say yes. And the core of your essence radiates that love, your soul, your mind, your strength, your being, all that you are. I believe you're going to have such peace <laughs> that there will be no anxiety. There will be no fear. Um... You know, these things will happen, but you will not be troubled. I mean, that's the commandment, and that's kind of almost the promise from the Lord. Is he's saying, you know, see that ye be not troubled. And there's so many other verses within the Bible that mention just the peace that Christ offers. So I don't want to keep continually debating this issue or beating it into the ground to spend every episode talking about it. But I did just want to give a little bit of a recap and update from the previous episode and mention that, you know, going back and looking at it again for a second time, I'd really noticed how the first warning that Christ gave was that you be not deceived for there will be deceivers in the world and everything else came after that. And it just, like I said, just makes so much sense, right? I mean, the pestilence will come after the deceiver. The deceiver, it makes sense, would deny the pestilence. It just, in my mind, it just makes sense, right? I mean, if he's a deceiver, he's going to deceive people. And if these are the signs of the end times of Christ coming, it would make sense that they would be denied So, where do we go from here, right? <laughs> I had still in pursuit of trying to interview somebody. I, um, I reached out to a couple people during the last month. There was one guy in particular I had reached out to who was a former pastor of mine, and he lost his wife. And I thought his story was very encouraging, he he lost um he was a pastor of a church very faithful never lost his faith and yet he lost his wife and i thought that was a pretty powerful story i know people who have come home from work and have seen their wives in the shower with the next door neighbor 
and it ruined their relationship with Christ. They, it just ruined it. They turned totally away from God, became anger and bitter. And, you know, I thought this pastor had a very encouraging story to tell, very inspirational about how, and actually losing his wife, he actually became more faithful and his relationship with the Lord actually deepened as a result of losing his wife. And I wanted to interview him and really engage and talk more about that. He never uh, responded to me. And there was another person I had reached out to as well, who I thought had a very good story about conviction. Um, her life, I think, of all the people that I've come across, from what I've gathered, her life reflects perhaps more proof of the idea of conviction than anyone else I know. And I thought she had a pretty powerful testimony. And I was really hoping to um, engage with her and talk with her further about her testimony and her walk with the Lord and talk more about this idea of conviction. And um, again, she never got back with me. So the pursuit of trying to find that first guest is still ongoing. I still would like to interview somebody and have that very first guest on this uh, podcast of Revelations and Deception. Um, you know, I don't want to spend all of my time and energy on the issues that were discussed in the contextual background episode. And I would want to move past that. A lot of that was just a reflection of the last year. Well, actually the last three, four years worth of buildup. Um, and, and it's been a, you know, in the last episode I had said how much my life had changed after the last year. And, um, a lot of that frustration, in some ways, anger, I had it since dissipated and it's been like, you know, I just feel, I feel like more people are becoming aware of things and I feel like I'm no longer the only one that has to have this burden. I feel like there's more people out there who are expressing these ideas and I feel like they're becoming more accepted and I feel like you know, it's no longer just me battling this, everybody else, but I kind of feel like there's more people on board. You know, I had thought that these trials were an opportunity for people within the church to really evaluate things on a moral conscious level, right? The Republican Senate minority leader had even said that this is a vote of moral conscience, and going back a year ago to the first trial, I really thought that there'd be more people in the church that had more of a moral conviction. And within the Republican Party, there was only one person last year who actually said that the president was guilty of um, the crimes that he was uh, accused of committing. 
And I still kind of believe in a way that these trials are ways in which we're being challenged to look at ourselves morally in a way. Um, I still feel like this last trial was like what the Republican minority Senate leader had said was a vote of moral conscience. And this last trial was the most bipartisan impeachment in all of history. You had 10 Republicans from the House that had voted, yes, he was guilty. And you had Senate seven senators within the Senate that were Republicans who said that he was guilty. So the last trial, you only had one Republican who had a moral conviction that this guy was guilty. And in this last trial, you had seven so I think there's hope. <laughs> you know, I think uh, I do think there's hope. I think um, I think going from one to seven offers a little bit of hope. And here's another piece of uh, and you know here's something else too that I think offers a little bit of hope as well is that Senate minority leader Republican who said that this was a vote of moral conscience. Ironically enough, he voted to acquit. His argument for acquittal was that the Senate was not the proper forum for this kind of trial. He did go on to say, though, that he felt that the president was practically and morally responsible for the events that happened on January 6th of 2021. So again, I think there's more hope. You know, he said that it was a vote of moral conscience. Last year, there was only one Republican who had the moral conviction. This year, there was seven who had the moral conviction. But then you had the ones who still voted not guilty, but then said that he was still practically and morally responsible saying that he was not guilty because the argument was that the Senate was not the right forum for that kind of trial. Now, will it take three trials? I mean, if this is a vote of moral conscience, will it take a third trial? Will it take a criminal trial? Because so far we haven't had a criminal trial, but the Senate minority leader who was a Republican who voted to acquit, but then said that he was practically immorally responsible, suggested that there should be a criminal investigation and suggested that perhaps a criminal court would be the proper forum for that kind of trial. So will there be a third trial? Well, is that what it's going to take for people to have a moral, more of a moral conviction. I don't know. I don't know. I think the, if there were to be a third trial, I think, um, it would be one of the most drawn out trials in history. Just every process, every piece of that would just be so drawn out. I think, I think, um, from the subpoenas to the witness testimony to depositions. Depositions alone can take years. 
And you can draw out depositions for years and years within court proceedings and hearings and things of that nature. So even to get a deposition from somebody, a witness, could take years. So if there were to be a criminal trial, I think it would be one of the most drawn-out trials in history, honestly. And I'm not even sure uh, if we would ever get to a conclusion But I do think there is hope, though, when you look at the moral conscience of those from a year ago to this year. I think things are improving in some ways. So anyway, I don't want to continue down that path or continue beating that subject to the ground, but I just wanted to give a little bit of recap because since the last episode aired, there had been a second trial. So that's the only reason why I'm mentioning it is because it's kind of within context of this whole podcast. The first episode, we talked largely about the first trial and the defense that the um, defense team had come up with. And I only thought it would be fair if we had an update. Um, so that's the only reason why I mentioned that second trial is just to give you a little bit of update on the events that have taken place since the first podcast aired, because there has been some significant developments since that very first podcast aired. And, you know, in that first podcast, we also talked about the 2024 timeline and nothing's changed as far as that goes. Uh, he's still eligible to run as president in 2024. So nothing's changed there. Um, he's still definitely eligible to run. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, going forward into the third episode, I'm not sure what to expect. You know, this last month I've just had this question. Do you love me? You know, Christ asking me, asking you individually as well. Do you love me? All right. It's just been something I've been thinking a lot about in my life. And I would encourage all of us to think about it, to just step away from the political arena, to get away from the debates and all the politics and just ask ourselves, do we love Jesus? And do we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? You know, is our identity a reflection of that love? Are our desires and passions in line with his will for us? Is our intellect and our reason a part of God's plan within our lives? Are the efforts and determinations that we are putting forth a part of his commandments to obey? You know, loving God affects every aspect of your life. The way you relate to other people, the way you relate to the earth, the way you relate to your own self, the way you do things, what you do, how you do them, your attitude, your connections. It's all a reflection of the love you have for God. That's why I said that I think this question creates one of the most deepest ways in which we can look at ourselves from a self-awareness perspective, if you will. Right, because the ref- the love that you have for God is going to ref- radiate 
in your life and everything that you do. So I would just encourage us to, during this next month, to really ask ourselves, do we love Jesus? Do we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how is that love being radiated? How is it being reflected or revealed? What things are you doing that show that love? So once again, thank you for joining me on Revelations and Deception. I would hope again that you would join me again. Until next time, take care. (laughs) 